Stephen Mills, research astronomer. Beautiful! Married to his work. Ah! Then one night, he sent a radar signal into another galaxy. Now they're sending someone back. If we don't get that transmission from him, our planet is doomed. Hi! Well, hi. She's got 48 hours to save her civilization. And decipher ours. Thank you. Delicious. That was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I must be boring the pants off you. No. They're still on. Good. We're making progress, sir. She's never made love. You're so stupid. We could have been doing this the whole time. We only met three hours ago. And never made breakfast. Daddy, don't you think this is pretty strange? Marry him. Where did she get a wedding dress on two hours' notice? Did she just carry one around with her in case of emergencies? Daddy, you married a person from another planet. Dan Aykroyd. Your stepmother is not an alien. Tim Basinger. For an astronomer, you have the most wonderful fibers. And you got yourself a handful right now. John Lovitz. My stepmother is an alien. A comedy of cosmic proportions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I have a returning guest, my good friend, Mr. Will Fordyce. Hi, people out there in uh, Dan Aykroyd podcast land. (laughs) Now, Will and I, we did uh, Coneheads. And Mm -hmm. sticking with the Dan Aykroyd science fiction theme, I asked him to do this podcast, My Stepmother is an Alien. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) That's my opinion. Um, uh, I remember watching this uh, maybe in the early 90s and not liking it. And I thought, coming back to it, when you asked me about this movie, I was like, oh, man, I don't like that movie. But I can I can give it another chance. And I started with fresh eyes, and I actually have some good notes. But uh, I, I watched this one again, and in my opinion, uh, it is not one of my favorite movies out there. I, in fact, I would it would lean towards I dislike this movie. I don't think my stepmother is an alien is going to end up on anybody's favorite movie list. I, I think it's worth a watch, though. It's an interesting movie to watch. This movie was um, uh, difficult at times, to to say the least. <laughs> well, when you look at the credits, it's written by four people. And whenever a okay. movie is written by four people, that's never a good sign. Uh, I think because I didn't I didn't uh, I wasn't paying super attention at the credit scene because it was just like floating through space and stuff. And I was kind of gearing my mind up. And that makes a lot of sense now because this movie, the, the characters were kind of the, they weren't contained. Uh, and some of the, the like plot points, there's, there's some things that it just seems, con- it doesn't seem like a solid universe. It looks like maybe some sketches or some things they threw together um, that they thought was a good idea. And they kind of like glued it together with some like not so great crazy glue. Well, I saw this movie in the theaters. Okay. And I vaguely, the reason I saw it was because John Lovitz was in the movie. He was either on Saturday Night Live or just went off Saturday Night Live. You know, every person has their Saturday Night Live. And mine was the 80s with Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman and John Lovitz. 
Jan Hooks. <laughs> that was mine. So I was mainly going to see it to see John Lovitz. He had some good moments in it, but his character was real. I, I there were some moments where he had funny moments, but his his character was like a womanizer and a, like I think it's beautiful though. Like at the very first part of the scene, like his very like just his introduction when he's walking in the rain, like you could already tell his character. I think they did that great because he he reaches out to that lady and goes, "Ah, oh, a nice umbrella." And like as she's trying to leave and real quick and within that one line and just John Lovett's being him, you could tell, okay, that's going to be his character for the movie is like this woman chaser. I've never met John Lovett's, but being a standup, mm-hmm. I've worked with people who have, who have worked with John Lovett's and mm-hmm. I've, I've heard two separate stories. I heard one comic say that he was a total dick, total asshole to work with. And then I heard this other comic saying he was the sweetest guy in the world. I've heard both ends of the spectrum with John Lovitz and neither one okay. of these comics are both. These comics are great guys. The guy that said that uh, John Lovitz treated him like a dick is one of the nicest guys in the world. One of the nicest people I've ever met. So I find it uh-huh. hard to believe that he pissed John Lovitz off. So, so that was, that, that's just my brief non-history with John Lovitz. Well, maybe just being human, you know, I don't know the circumstances or anything, but maybe he just had one of those like horribly off days and, you know, things happen in the background of life. Um, Or maybe he bucked, like realized like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a dick to people. And maybe the other comic saw him later or, you know, and and he was like, he turned around or something happened to him where it kind of like sunk in. So my stepmother is an alien. The the premise is... Dan Aykroyd sends this beam into space. His, and when we first meet Dan Aykroyd in the movie, it's totally another version of Ray Stance from Ghostbusters. I could totally mm-hmm. see it was just it was just that character. Oh, is it before Ghostbusters or after? This is after Ghostbusters. Okay. But it's before My Girl, which came out in 1991, where he plays ah. a widowed father to a girl. So this character is actually a combination of two movies, one that's been made and one that hasn't been made yet. It's that like nice middle ground. Uh, One, one thing I do like that you bring up about Dan Aykroyd is, is his science speak. And at the very beginning uh, he has like those moments where he's really like intelligent and high spoken and knows what he's talking about. Um, and especially with the juxtaposition, I, I don't know who the actor is, uh, but it plays his like assistant or his, his work buddy. Um, like Dan Aykroyd does really well at that character, like across the board. But this one, he had little tidbits of tastes of it. He sends this beam into space. There's a, a mishap in the, you know, in the laboratory, which allows the beam to go farther. It goes two galaxies over mm-hmm. and it hits this other planet. And that planet ends up sending Kim Basinger. Basinger? Bassinger. Basinger? Bassinger. I'm not sure. It's on you. I have no idea. (laughs) We'll we'll go with Basinger. Kim Basinger to Earth as the alien. But before that, um, like even in the, the, when I, again, going back, like I saw this before, like, uh, like maybe in the late nineties and, and I was, I was like, I didn't, I just wrote it off. And so when I came to this movie with fresh eyes, I really appreciated the like camera work 
especially in the office, because they were doing some longer takes. Um, so just before we leave that area, like I just want to point out, like um, they they have moments of like whoever was doing the camera work on there. And I, I, I didn't look it up, but they, they had some great moments in there when like they had a lot of fun with the camera work and kind of like doing the longer takes and looking back and forth. And it wasn't just cutting back and forth between different angles. They, they had like the perfect position to kind of just like capture wonderful moments, which I truly appreciate about like a few segments they did in this movie. The camera work is good. Unfortunately, the visual effects don't hold up that well. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, but we get into the story, and actually, I've just realized, the beginning of the story is a lot like Ghostbusters. He Because he gets fired, mm-hmm. which yeah. happens in Ghostbusters. He gets fired, and he has to go home to his daughter, and then we see the spaceship coming to Earth, and Kim Bassinger is the alien, and she has this little in her bag. She has her companion, which is just an eye in her in her purse. Mm-hmm. So that gives her, which I think is kind of clever. That gives her someone to talk to, so she doesn't have to do. So she doesn't have to talk to herself. Well, I've been sent here to Earth for blah 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 blah. <laughs> At least speak, you know, talking about the mission with somebody else. That's a that's a clever way to get exposition out where she's just not talking to herself, which people, which people never do, but sometimes you have to do in movies to get the, to get the point across. Yeah. And it's, I mean, interesting because the, uh, I didn't like pay supreme attention to it, but um, it wasn't, it was kind of those moments of like, they were arguing back and forth and releasing exposition uh, at at similar times between the arguments. So I, I think that was a clever little device. Yes. The the thing that confused me though is like when when they were on the way to the planet like I don't know we di- we didn't learn anything about their planet other than there's like apparition people I guess they're projecting um like we there's one strange alien and they look human where they made her a human body we didn't I mean I guess they they kind of just like gave you the suspension of disbelief there but uh, when she's flying in the spaceship, like there, she has like makeup products. Like she has a lipstick case and she has eyeliner and she has like these things that like, I, I would assume that like, I guess they studied the earth and you replicated them or something, but it was, it was weird to me that they just had the same application devices that we do on earth. If they were two galaxies away. Right. They studied the earth and they got, half of it right and half of it wrong because the reason they sent Kim Bassinger, they they're trying to get the information from Dan Aykroyd from his character on how he was able to get that beam to reach their planet. Mm -hmm. And their logic is men will give up at paraphrasing men will give up anything for pussy. So you're the most attractive person for the job. That's why she's hired for the job because Uh she's the most attractive and she is supposed to seduce Dan Aykroyd to get the information. And that's basically what so, they say is a man will give up anything. A man will give up his country. A man will give up his wife. A man will give up anything for a hot half woman. His stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there's some moments. Yeah, there's moments coming up. But um, I, isn't the goal 
so that they can get him to send the signal again because they hit hit their and we learn this later um the the beam hit their atmosphere and it was causing gravitational issues uh and they need to hit it again so that it reverses that issue um or she was trying to learn there was a, a little bit of oddness um or she needed to learn how to do it again so that sh- they could do it themselves but either eventually or they end- yeah either yeah. or okay but as you pointed out when they first we don't know why they need to know we find out basically in the middle of the film why they sent her here and what the beam did to their planet when she first lands we don't know why she needs to know this. We don't know why they were sent here to figure this out. So we're a bit in the dark too. It, it's it's a little bit, I I kind of like halfway appreciate it that they raised the stakes in the middle um, because, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to like have the stakes go up and up and up and up. So maybe that's what they were trying to do with the script is, or like you said, the four people like, you know, maybe they were sitting down at a table on a on a cocaine bender going, yeah, but w- w- why is she here? And then they just threw an answer out or they misplaced it in the script or something. One one of the four writers threw out, threw out <laughs> why. But this but first of all, it's they fly in in this flying saucer. Huge, and huge, huge flying saucer, huge flying saucer. And they land a 100 feet from this house. That's a raging party. A raging party. They land in this highly populated area. Nobody <laughs> saw the ship. Nobody. And when they cut back to the house, the windows are open. People are standing in the windows. They're all right there. It's not like a secret. You walk straight onto the beach because it's it's a beachfront property. And yeah, you're right. There, she's she's maybe a hundred feet away. And this this is a light up ship. There's no camouflage, no cloaking device. It's huge, and and it, I'm sure it made noise. Yeah, because you know, yeah, there has to be something. There's got to be something where these people would notice. Because if there was a cloaking I mean, device, it's never mentioned. Because even if the adults are like really partied up, like there were kids at this party too. Because the the daughter and a couple of her friends were there and. And it, it's very mind-boggling that no one, no one was looking out the window. Nobody, like, ah, <laughs> this is where the movie, like, falls apart for me. And I'm like, okay, I remember why I didn't like this movie. I just wasn't aware yet why. Well, the, the house is John Lovett's house. And yeah. he's throwing a party, yeah. and Dan Aykroyd is there with his daughter. And Kim Bassinger, for some reason, also they know that Dan Aykroyd was the one that sent the beam. I don't know how they would have known that, but they know that Dan Aykroyd has sent the beam and they know everything about Dan Aykroyd. So she's there specifically. To scary detail. (laughs) To scary detail, yes. And she walks into this party and goes up to Dan Aykroyd and it starts acting weird. She's quoting Popeye. She's quoting the monkeys. She's not quoting. She's singing songs. Now you don't fool me. Your favorite color is red. Your favorite food is lasagna. And your favorite rocking is pink bread. Oh. Actually, I prefer green. I'm allergic to all pasta. And my favorite rock is Rachmaninoff. Well, of course you'd say that. 
And I think it's Pink Floyd, not Pink Fred, right, Jesse? Pink Fred is their nickname. <laughs> Would you hold this for me, please? Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Huh? Hey, people say we monkey around, but we're too busy singing to put anybody down. What? Do you know what they say? Nixon's the one. Dick Nixon? Okay. See you later, bro. Sailor, I like your cheek. You've broken my heart for the last time. Oh, oh. You've broken my heart for the last time, too. Oh. Do you have any spinach? My hands are freezing. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm strong to the finish, because I eat to be spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot-toot. Popeye. This bird's for you. Uh, <laughs> this part confuses me well, what else does she do she does um, she starts doing like massive like gymnastics and backflips in the middle of this party yes and she and then after she does all that she's realized that she's embarrassed herself she leaves goes out on the patio starts talking to her purse the alien in her purse and says, he thinks I'm crazy. He thinks I'm an idiot. If she knew that was the inappropriate way to act, why yeah. did she act that way? There was a saving line, and I forget who says it. It might have been, no, it was it Dan Aykroyd? Like, or somebody at the party points at her and goes, oh, is this one of those gimmick telegrams? Or like syndigrams? Yeah, so so there's they tried to save it, but I mean... It's very far fetched, and like you said, then she goes out and starts talking into her purse. So, like, ah, uh. and and everybody's kind of jiving with it. They're they're kind of just standing off to the side and like, oh, okay, well, this is what this is. Well, the main thing in this movie for me is nobody reacts the way people would react in a situation. John Lovitz lets this woman he doesn't know into his party, and she starts singing and whacking out and starts doing backflips smoking carrots and eating cigarette butts yes because she gets those two mixed up now as you said dan Aykroyd said you know is this a wacky telegram thing but even later in the film when we find out more and more about her people just people are just not reacting the way that humans would and i know that has to be sometimes for the plot to continue yeah, but it's just such a suspension of disbelief that the well, that nobody is acting like a human. the The most human person is Kim Bassinger, who's playing an alien. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but one of the the seat, like right before, like right after she goes out, the thing that confuses me is he's Dan Aykroyd's character is almost smitten by this random Telegram girl that has come in and done all these weird, wacky attention hitting things. And the, the, he's looking out the window kind of like fondly at her as she's screaming into her purse. And the daughter comes up and goes, well, dad, did you like her? And he kind of looks at her and thinks, well, maybe I did like her. And, and he has this like sweet guy character moment. And then he goes outside and joins her on, on the balcony or on the patio. I, I would say that she's seducing him 
to get the information. But as we find out, she doesn't know how to seduce people. She doesn't know about sex. She doesn't know about kissing. At this point, she doesn't know anything about this. And it kind of goes back and forth. Oh, well, the there's a comment she makes, like, my hands are cold. Do you have any spinach? And then I guess, because then outside when Dan Aykroyd's talking to her, like, trying to just talk to her because he was smitten randomly by this crazy lady, she sticks, she says, oh, my hands are cold, and, and sticks his, her hands into his pockets, which kind of, like, turns him into a horn dog. Um, uh, but there's no reference, like, why her hands are cold, that her hands are ever cold again. So that, that part confused me. A lot of this movie confused me. And, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth between the characters, and they, they don't feel cohesive. They, you know, they don't grow and learn. They just flip-flop between two different things. And there's a few notes I have for later scenes. Like like you said, sometimes she's very confident at the party and she goes in and she knows what she's doing. And then she comes out and says, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. So so this movie is, is oh man, it's an ordeal. <laughs> I will say this. I thought Kim Bassinger did a great job as a comedic actress. She had good comedic timing. Mm -hmm. She delivered her lines. I think the chemistry between her and Dan Aykroyd is nice. When, when the characters are stable, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And as for John Lovitz, the weird thing about John Lovitz is, in my opinion, in some scenes, he's act, his acting is, is good and funny. And then in mm -hmm. other scenes, his acting is just atrocious. Where it's, yeah, there's where it's like you that that's not acting it. It's really weird. His acting is all over the. And I'm not just talking about being funny. I'm just talking about the quality of his acting. It's yeah. all over the place in this film. This I mean, across the board, the movie's all over the place. So I, I wonder if they like, do you know any backstory on like filming and stuff? If they had to do reshoots or rebudget or cuts or anything like that? No, I just know, as we mentioned before, it was in, it took a long time to develop. That's okay. why it went through so many writers. And if you have four writers, it's very hard to get four writers to cohesively have a story. Everybody's going to have a little different, a little different brand, mm -hmm. a little, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And um, that's well, my opinion why it didn't, it didn't mesh together. Because when you got old, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many writers in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say to the, to the, I guess, benefits of the writers is that I've been in movies before where things look decent on paper and they look cohesive and they don't translate well to film. Or maybe you're so minutely looking at like each scene that you're not taking a step back and looking at the big picture. So I've had moments like that where like when the film gets put to tape, it, it's not the same that you envisioned it. So maybe uh, I guess to their you know, devil's advocate is maybe that something like that happened or as it was going through hands, like they weren't taking enough steps back to look at the, the grander picture. You never, yeah, you never know what's going to happen on a, on a movie set because there's a lot yeah. of, 
uh, quality people. Richard Benjamin, who directed this movie, he is he's an actor and a director. He's done some quality work before. Early film roles from Seth Green and Juliette Lewis. He he had Seth Green had a fun like that was a, a real fun part. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but and this is one of those movies where all the it's, you recognize all the all the uh, supporting characters. I know that guy, or you may not know their name, but I know that person. I've seen them before. So it wasn't mm-hmm. lack of quality of the crew and the cast. It was just not put together very, very well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this movie, it's its maybe one of those, like, B-movies that you go watch and, and like, to rag at, like, Snakes on a Plane. or I mean, even Snakes on a Plane had a more cohesive plot. But this one... Oh man, I would it, say it that, was... <laughs> but there's so many, there's so many boring stretches where nothing happens, where it's hard to watch. It's not, yeah, it's not funny, bad. Uh, it's, it's it's boring. Bad, bad. It's bad, bad. It is. It's bad, bad. It's boring. Uh, as I said, I respect Kim Bassinger. I thought she did a mm-hmm. good job with what she had. Dan Aykroyd. I thought he did a good job with what they had. But they didn't have a lot to work with. I thought they did the best. This this is not has this doesn't have anything to do with the lead actors. They both did a, in my opinion, they both did a great job with what they had. It was just everything mm-hmm. surrounding them, the script, the direction, everything else. To your point, there were moments in the movie where I was like, "Are they going for a comedy?" and and I had to question like, "What what are the goals of what's going on here?" So. I know exactly kind of like what you're talking about. And the character is Dan Aykroyd meets this woman at a party. He takes her to where he works because she's trying to find out how that laser beam got to her planet. This movie uses a lot of archival footage. We see uh, the three stooges in this movie. Jimmy Durante mm-hmm. is a big part of this movie. We'll talk about more about him later. We see He's Casablanca in this, in this movie. It's always hard when you're referencing something better than your movie. All those scenes and all those characters that they referenced are much funnier and much better than the movie that you're in. Because when you're mm-hmm. watching that, when you see that scene, it's like, that's Casablanca. That's a great movie. That's the Three Stooges. That's funny. I think I got a real big nostalgia bump from that one scene uh, where they they th- showed some of that footage, especially from the Three Stooges. I was like, you know, I, I was getting a flood of like, I love that episode and that's great. And that's, you know, is a big you immediately you immediately that. stop thinking of the movie and start thinking of yep. the Three Stooges, that episode. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, before they left the party, though, I had one like. This is where I first noticed like the character shifting is is before they get to the the office of Dan Aykroyd. Um, well, is is he goes from this like sweet romantic guy sometimes to this is where he has his first big shift to. And I understand he's getting some beautiful woman's coming and sticking his hands in his pockets. I mean, there's so much crazy you can take. I mean, in my philosophy of before, like a girl is unattractive no matter how attractive she is. Um, but this one, like uh, there's a moment where she's like, I need to change my dress because I'm inappropriately dressed. And she starts taking her dress off there and he becomes ungentlemanly where he goes like, she's like, where should I change? And he's like, 
maybe the backseat of my car. And then we cut to the office of them driving to the office randomly. He leaves his daughter. I didn't at even the party. think about that. He oh abandoned his daughter at his party to go out with this floozy at this point because that's what she thinks. Well, I don't. She talks science to him, so she's yeah. not really a floozy. But there's something there's something odd about her. It's it's too nuts. It's way too nuts that any like you said, going back to your point of nobody's acting human because in anybody. It, it went beyond the suspension of disbelief. If somebody acted that nuts, it doesn't matter how physically attractive they are. Like, y- there's no way to pursue somebody that crazy in my mind. And I've had moments of like unclear thinking with with a few, you know, if, if you get my drift. I've, I've had moments <laughs> of unclear thinking with women, but there's a point where it gets too crazy and you're like, uh, I'm out. I yes. can't do this. And your daughter is there. Your Ooh. daughter is there. I have more notes about that relationship when we get to those moments. It, it's cringeworthy. It is cringeworthy because he ends up taking her back to his place where his daughter is mysteriously there. We, how did she get there? I, it was So his daughter somehow got home. Yeah. She's 13. She's 13. Yeah. So she's not young, young, but she's really, she's not really old enough to be getting herself home a, from a party in the middle of the night. At um, a beach house party with, a, with what, tons of people. At a beach house party with booze, booze and the <laughs> sketchy looking people there because yeah. John Lovett's character, Dan Aykroyd's brother, he plays Dan Aykroyd's brother in the movie. He's really a perv. I, he's sort of the definition of creepy uncle. They play it for laughs that he's not he's not dangerous, but from all outward signs, he could have been a some sort of predator. It's just this the way he acts. Well, he was going around to like three or four different <laughs> women at the party, or two or was it like two or three women? He was he was there with a woman, but he kept hitting on all these other women. And he ends up with this woman who's 6'2", and John Lovitz is not a big man. Um, so he ends up with this woman who just towers over him, which was, I guess, was supposed to be a joke. I, at one point, he mentions it as like, oh, yeah, well, my woman's 6'2", or yeah. uh, I forget that. It's so uh, I guess that's what they, they thought it was funny. So Dan Aykroyd takes Kim Bassinger back to his house and basically has a one-night stand. At that point, it's a one-night stand. With his daughter in the other room, right across the hall from him, he took a stranger that it's it stated in the movie. He's only known for three hours. He take yep. and this is the eighties, yep. at the heights at the height of AIDS. Okay, I, I, I didn't. I, um, I I know that's sort of weird to bring that up, but that this is when this is when the height of that was happening. And he takes this woman that he just met three hours ago back to his house and has sex with her with his daughter right across the hall from him. And and uh, it's not just any woman. Like I could see, okay, I could conceivably see if like you met somebody and things like clicked, like, okay, let's, let's you know, hook up or something. But this lady is almost on the verge of psychopath. Yes. But then, but once again, how people don't act right in this. The next morning, his daughter's having breakfast. Dan Aykroyd comes down. 
this strange woman comes down and she's happy. She's happy that her dad hooked up with somebody. No, yeah, it wasn't like, hey, I met somebody and this is like a fun thing. They almost like, like it's if I went to my mom and was like, or if my mom came to me and was like, hey, son, I just got laid and fist bumped me. That's the kind of vibe I got from this one scene. You are absolutely right. It went right up to there. Dan Aykroyd is hinting. It's like, I, well, I just had sex. He doesn't come out and say it. But yeah, he's bragging to his daughter that he just had sex with a total stranger. And she's lit up and she's happy. And she's like, oh, my God, that's so wonderful. <laughs> and and I get it. Like, he's been, his wife died five years ago. Spoiler alert. Um, but to that, like a 13-year-old daughter, like, just having that kind of reaction is, like, you. it's the same point you made. It's, it, nobody's acting like a person. <laughs> I appreciate the fact because usually in these movies we have the daughter is jealous of any new person coming into their lives. I respected that they didn't go in that direction. However, they went so far in the other direction (laughs) where it's like, dad, just fuck anybody you want. Um, Boom. (laughs) Boom. Getting it wet. (laughs) Getting it wet and getting it now. Um, I will take if you don't mind to step back. The, probably the the funniest line in my uh, if if memory serves, this is probably the line that I laugh the most at. Is they they come to the house, the daughter's there asleep. Um, they go upstairs because she's like, "Hey, I have to go say good night." Um, the a- purse alien says, "Hey, you need to go check on him. He could be burning uh, information or like destroying it." And and as they're leaving the daughter's room, because the the Kim Bassinger came up to check on him. She's like, well, why don't we just go in your room? And he's like, wait, before we do this, like, do you think I'm a billionaire? Do you think I'm on TV? Do you think I'm somebody important? And she says, no, I know exactly who you are. List all these information. And he's like, okay, let's go do it. Why don't we go in here? My bedroom? Well, you said you wanted to talk. Why go all the way downstairs? Say, do you think I'm a billionaire or somebody's on television or somebody's really important or something? No, you're Stephen Mills, PhD, a very obscure physicist who makes $25,000 a year. And you still want to go in here? Yowza. Yowza? (laughs) Yowza. (laughs) You make me laugh. I mean, you're the first person that has really made me laugh since... Well, um, look, if we do go in there, you know, I might probably want to do more kissing. Surely. Well, it's very pleasant. But I hope that's not all you want to do. Um, but that line of like, I'm not credible before you start getting in too deep. I'm not anybody. So I kind of chuckled at that line. Um, but also like, he, in that moment... Going back to the weird nuttiness, she she knew exactly how much he made salary-wise, how many PhDs he had, what school he went to, and, and that kind of stuff before they went into her bedroom, or his bedroom. Well, just the fact that he let a stranger into his daughter's room. Yeah. He didn't get weirded out. It was just like, oh, that's my daughter. So, so maybe there's a little bit of like a... Uh, 
you know, he's, yeah, uh, no, never mind. No, she's nuts. This lady is nuts, and you're right. There, There's a nuts lady just barging upstairs and saying, oh, who's this, and interrogating you. Uh, so cringy. It is. It's a lot of this movie. It's it's very very cringy, and they're trying to go for cute, but it comes off as cringy. Yeah. The next day, you were saying. Well, also there there's uh, during the the scene where they there was another. I think this was the moment where like right before they they start having intercourse is there's a funny moment from Dan Aykroyd when she's in the bathroom a trying to figure out what sex is and talking to her purse. Um, Dan Aykroyd's by himself, like getting undressed and he's sitting in bed, like practicing when she comes back in. And I like how he's gesturing, like he's making all these like funny faces, like, Oh, you can stay here. Oh. And he's trying to get the perfect moment. I thought that moment was funny. Yeah. There's, there's uh, pockets of funny moments in here, but you have to, you have to, you gotta look for them. And now let's take a break with a word from one of our sponsors. Hey everybody, this is Derek McFarland. My co-host, Mean Mark, and I want to tell you all about an exciting new podcast that you may not have heard. We are the Canadian Movie Crew. You can find us at CanadianMovieCrew.com. We host podcasts for new movies coming out in theaters or on streaming. And we also have a bad movie podcast that you can check out called Or Is It? Where we try to find the real story behind the story. And on that show, you might even hear a voice that you're very familiar with. So join us, CanadianMovieCrew.com, for movies from a Canadian perspective. And now back to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. Well, the next day he finds out that she says that uh, she's got to go in 12 hours. She's got to go home and never come back. So to keep her from going, he proposes to her. So after knowing her for 12 hours, he has proposed to this woman, this crazy woman. One night stand, known each other for three hours, and yeah. <laughs> I know he's desperate because he says so. I don't want to sound desperate. This might make me sound desperate, but I'm very desperate. Uh, funny line, but it's it's like who in their right mind, like like you said, they're not people in this movie. It's It's just, yeah, it's insane that he would propose and they would start saying like he, he was even saying like, I love you and stuff the night of them having intercourse. Yeah. It's totally unreal. Well, after he proposes to Kim Bassinger, she has to go talk to the council from her planet. Mm -hmm. So they end up in this baseball field and the council shows up. And this is when we find out that the Ray that Dan Aykroyd, shot in the space hit their planet and is affecting their is it affecting their atmosphere or their gravity it at at this scene they say gravity because they were saying the gravity is like three times the amount um so at this moment it's gravity but i think at one point it was referenced to be their atmosphere if i'm not mistaken but at this moment they they say the gravity is very intense three times the amount we need to get it fixed so to get it fixed they need Dan Aykroyd to either shoot the beam back up to their planet or tell Kim Bassinger how to do it. Bassinger, good God. I'm going to say that differently every <laughs> goddamn time. Uh, Old Kimmy. 
Kim, Kim B. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so she says he'll do it if I marry him. Well, then they're like, marry him. And, and they go through all these, they ask what marriage is. She asks what marriage is. And they look it up in the book. It's the random book they just pull out. The random it. book. <laughs> basically saying how shitty marriage is to women throughout the years. Uh, mm-hmm. Marriage in this book means he goes out and uh, conquers the Greeks while you put on a chastity belt. Oh no, wrong century. What you do is he goes to work and then you come home, he comes home and you cook and clean for him and make him a martini. Oh, that's it's too old fashioned. So it, it reminds us that how, how uh, a shitty marriage was for women throughout the years. And this is the eighties. Mm-hmm. Where it's getting yeah. better, but it's still nowhere close to where it is now, the equality. So she's like, okay, I'll marry him. And then the next scene, they're getting married? Not only this, it's... Oh, I, I was just gonna... It, the, it, this is another, like, mind-boggling scene. Because they they have hundreds of guests. Not hundreds. They have, they have maybe a hundred guests. They have a priest. They have a band. They have um, a cake, they have flowers, they have a dress, they have suits, they have tuxedos, and all these chairs, just like last minute. That's exactly what I was going to say. They put a whole wedding together with with guests and food and in a matter of hours. You can't do that. (laughs) You cannot do that. If they would have gone to the justice, you know, if they would have gone and gotten married downtown or just went to a church and just had to just speak. I could see that, but getting, but getting, you know, dozens of friends, a minister, a band, getting all that together in a matter of hours, it can't be done. It cannot be done. Even getting the marriage license that takes, that takes days. And yeah. And I know in Texas you have 72 hours to wait, but um, like we have good friends but I don't think anybody could do a last minute like, hey, show up to my wedding. In the, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, I got yeah. a job. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be a funny phone call. Hey, so I'm getting married. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Do you want to come to the wedding? Yeah, that would be great. Like, I'd love to. Like, w- when is it? Oh, today, like um, two o'clock. And that's exactly what they do. And. I know that's kind of nitpicky, but it's just that's just stupid, lazy writing. That's yeah, it's it's the, I think that I mean, at least in my mind, that was the the like breaking past the barrier of like, like reasonability. They wrote themselves in a corner when they said they had to take care of this problem in 24 hours. It's like we have to take care of this uh, yeah. problem in 24 hours. If Not it even. Was, I think it was it was like 19 hours, 19 hours or whatever it was. It was way too short of a time. We should have, they should have landed. It's like our plan, at least a week, that would be a week. So yeah, you, you would. So the stuff that happens makes more sense that it could actually happen if they had a week or maybe even a month. It's like, we got a month. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and that way you could flush out some characters and flush out some scenes. But they don't. Whatever that that, that 19 hours were. or 24 hours or whatever it is, they just wrote themselves in a corner. They didn't. Well, they didn't write themselves in a the corner. They just made everything connected with that ridiculous by giving themselves such a short time frame to work in. 
Yeah, four people wrote themselves in a corner. Four people. Four. <laughs> so then after their wedding, their daughter has a dance she has to go to in that yep. same day? Yep. That that night, yeah. That They're... night, because they keep saying it's his wedding night. Yeah. So yep. after he has a wedding, his daughter has a dance? Okay. And this is the Seth Green scene. I liked it. His his character was fun. Maybe the strongest character in the movie that stuck to his personality. Where'd you get this dress? Oh, it's oh. him! Quick, Dad! The brush! I'm coming! I'm coming! Here it is! Here it is! I've got it here! The brush! The brush! The brush! Okay. You see? You see? There you go. Here we go. There you go. My God, you look beautiful. Thanks, Dad. I hope he likes me. I hope you like him. Hi, I'm Fred, the date. These are for you, doll. Thank you. Uh, I'm Steve, Jesse's dad. Hi. This is Mrs. Mills. <laughs> nice to meet you. Mouth jewelry. Huh? Oh, right, my braces. My wife's from Holland, so they... Uh... Sure. Oh, you wore flats. Great. So, have a great time. Oh, so we safe with me, sir. Bye. Did that kid look shifty to you? Hadn't you better get back to work now? What? you got to be kidding. On our wedding night? Well, um... Well, I don't think so. It was. It was a nice little fun scene. And uh, quite frankly, uh, Seth Green was adorable. It kind of loses something. You know, Seth Green grew up to be this actor and he, he, he did Robot Chicken. And what he's done now, you look back at it and it's like, well, this is an adult man now. But when you first watching the movie, it was like when you see that, it's like that was a nice, cute scene where once again, Dan Aykroyd sends his 13 year old daughter out with no chaperone in the middle of to the go night walk. <laughs> to <Yeah>. walk. <laughs> I don't know what city they live in, but this. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a I don't know. She's got a, a, a poster of Magic Johnson in her bedroom. Is it L.A.? Okay. It's not really it's not really made clear. Well, she's a basketball fan, which I that's how they bookend the movie is, is the movie starts off with her playing basketball and really wanting to dunk, which now that I think about it, doesn't there's nothing there like it was at the beginning and at the end, the girl, the girl liked basketball, but it was never referenced again. While his while his daughter is fending for herself in the streets of L.A., He's having sex with his new wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they giggle and they're tickling each other upstairs before the daughter leaves the house. Mm-hmm. All right, honey. Have oh, a good oh, oh, we forgot something. Before the wedding, the daughter sees Kim Bassinger starting eating these batteries. That's right. And oh, talking to yes. her purse. Yeah. So she tries oh. to explain it to Dan Aykroyd, but he doesn't believe her. And at that point, it's totally dropped. She totally and- drops it. Going back further, the the first instance that the step the the daughter catches her is she puts magazines in her purse, 
and then she produces a dress instantaneously, which is is kind of perplexing. And the the apparitions that are at Wrigley Field or that are at the baseball stadium are um, they say they have to she has to kill the daughter. And that was even before the scene where she caught her drinking battery acid. Right. So at this point, she's te- she's seen two weird, th- like once again, not acting as a person yet. Yeah. Where where it's like this is really really weird. She just sort of drops it. They get married. She goes to the dance. They go have sex. A uh, 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 Kim Bassinger fucks Dan Aykroyd into a coma. Because he's he's out, he's asleep. And then she goes down and starts drinking the battery juice out of the car battery. And the daughter, <laughs> she made it home. Hallelujah. Uh, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness she made it home with no adult supervision. She made it home and she, she sees him drink. Yeah, and Seth Green, it's like the guy, the guy's not going to protect her from anybody. I'm sorry, at that age, no, he's not going to protect her from anybody. Seth, um, if you're listening, we apologize. We apologize, Seth. If he's yeah, if you're <laughs> listening, if you're one of the 15 people listening. But she sees she sees her drink the battery acid out of the car. So this is the third time she's seen that. And then apparently, so she drinks the battery acid. No, and then she goes she goes overnight shopping. Overnight it's, shopping. It's yes. Yeah, she goes to a 24-hour diner first, but then there's a 24-hour grocery store full of people because uh, she fits in a lot overnight. And during the night, she she cooks everything. So she spends all her night shopping and cooking. And once again, the daughter, who's not being looked after, is watching her do this through the window. So she sees her yep. picking up these red-hot pans with no oven mitts and not hurting herself. She sees Going her stick her hand in, in, in boiling water and not hurting herself. Yeah. And the, the daughter staying up all night to watch this, like, and she left and came back and like, there's the times really off in this movie. It's really awkward time-wise. Cause also during this time, the purse makes a call to Dan Aykroyd's ex-boss yep. as Carl Sagan to get his job back so he can go back to the lab and figure out how to shoot the ray. Did you recognize the voice that was doing Carl Sagan? It was, uh, I thought it was uh, Hank Azaria first, but it was the the uh, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer, um, yes. And he does the voice on Simpsons for, um, he does several voices. He does several voices. He's most, uh, Smithers is the voice that he Ah, okay. But it's really weird because the last, the episode, my Dan Aykroyd episode that is, came before this one, or actually, I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, I did a Dan Aykroyd uh, podcast on an episode of Saturday Night Live. And in Mm -hmm. one of the sketches, Harry Shearer just calls in during the sketch. So this is like two podcasts where Harry Shearer just makes, does a tiny phone bit and he's not seen and he's just heard well harry Shearer, if you're listening call in and you can yeah. be on this too because i guess because harry Shearer is another one of those i, I hear he's kind of prickly to work with but okay. to me this seems like this is just a favor to dan Aykroyd or somebody 
All you have to do is you, you go into a, you don't even have to come on set. You go into sound booth. It's a day's work. If that an hour's work, I, I think somebody has called in a favor because it's Carl Sagan and Carl Sagan, yeah. you know, pretty much everybody can do billions and billions of years ago. And uh, that was really good. Yeah. Thank you. So the next morning, his boss calls and tells him to get back to work. And during all this, Kim Bassinger is putting all this food on the table. And it reminded me funny. of Coneheads consume mass ah, quantities. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put those together. Thank you for, cause that makes it even more fun. I even like that. The, the dog had like an eight course meal. There was, there was a quick cutaway very quick as she's stacking stuff. And I guess they needed to make an edit or something. Um, but they cut away to the dog sitting in the laundry room, I think. And he has like eight bowls in front of him with eight different little pieces of food. And then it cuts back to the family. It was a real quick joke, but it was, I, I laughed at it. I thought it was fun. And so Dan Aykroyd goes back to work. Well, and he's trying to like, no, I'm going to stay here with you, honey. Cause it's our honeymoon. Cause this is only day three of them knowing each other. Is that right? Day three or it's day three or day two. It, it has to, it actually has that, to be one day because she only had 24 hours. So this actually has to be, but it can't be because we had an overnight scene. I don't know. You said time is so wonky in this. It's, it has maybe, to be at least two days, maybe the third day. Maybe the writers were on to something a little bit. Cause right now, uh, I'm watching and reading some articles about how time's relative depending on where you are in space and how fast you're going. So maybe 19 hours on their planet is not the same 19 hours that is on their their planet. And the writers knew that and had that put in. So maybe that's why we're confused. I think you're giving the writers way too much credit, but you actually fix their am. <laughs> you fix their movie just by saying that. If <laughs> I know this is cliche, but <laughs> 19 hours that's that's uh 72 earth hours you know yeah. 19 hours on our planet is 72 earth hours i know that's a cliche but, putting earth you know uh 72. but they didn't that's, say it in the movie they didn't I, say it I was in the being movie a jackass yeah you uh, but, but no you fixed their movie oh okay <laughs> one line one little line fixed the whole th well no it didn't fix it at all this is still a horrible movie dan Aykroyd goes off to work uh, the, his daughter finds out that just confirms that her stepmother is an alien, calls her dad, calls Dan Aykroyd and says the house is on fire. Get home. And while Dan Aykroyd is rushing home, Kim Bassinger and bag, that's the name of the character is bag. That's how original yeah. they are. It's like, her that's, purse, that's a good her, point. Her purse is called bag. And is that their alien name or that's what confused me is uh, I think a little later. And it's like, they, yeah, there wasn't a name or anything other than the Earth thing that they're encompassing. But she I, doesn't Kim Bassett call her bag. Yep. Oh yeah. No, the entire like. So the then that would the be movie. that would be her name. So it's just coincidence that her name is Bag, but she's come to Earth <laughs> as a bag. Maybe in on different planets, Bag means different things. Maybe. No, that's, uh, I'm trying to. That's a stretch. <laughs> What we don't know about the whole story is, is that after after they get the information, they're supposed to destroy the earth. They raise the stakes again. They raise the stakes <laughs> again. 
but they let this, but they let us in on it. It's not, and I don't know whether this is good as bad, but we, we get this information in little spurts. They're here on earth for some reason. They're here on earth because the Ray messed with their gravity. Now they have to, once they recreate that, they have to destroy the earth. So nobody can do that again. So we learn, we learn periodically what the, what the whole plan is. You've watched movies where you think it's, you think it's going somewhere and sort of a double cross because actually now that I think about it, they're keeping this information. Well, I see, so the, the bag knows this, but they're keeping this information away from Kim Bassinger. So did they she's know supposed that, to be the commanding officer? And she's supposed she? to be the commanding officer. If they knew that she might not carry out their orders, why send her to earth? Yeah. She was the best looking one. She was they the best looking on one. Out of a planet that of, of, I guess all women, except for the high council that we learn a little bit later. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just. Maybe this, on different planets. This movie is an hour and 48 minutes. Way too long. Hour and a half. Cut 20 minutes out of this film. There's a lot of there was a lot of things we could have cut out of this movie. I'm always yeah. about if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I'm always about tightening things up. Tightening things mm-hmm. up. And this movie could have been tightened up. It probably wouldn't have been good, <laughs> but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been as bad. Oh. Um, oh, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say they, they had to fluff it up so it could make it to a feature length film. No, no, they, yeah, they, they overfluffed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, Ron Jeremy fluffed this thing way too big. Uh, Damn. <laughs> but Dan Aykroyd gets home. His daughter starts crying. She's an alien. He doesn't believe her. The daughter runs out and is about to get hit by a car. And Kim Bassinger saves her, makes her transparent. So the car goes right through her. And then they bond. And, and then nobody freaks out that she's an alien. Nobody freaks nope. out that she's an alien. Dan Aykroyd makes himself a sandwich and a drink when he finds out she's an, an angry alien. Sandwich. An angry sandwich and a whole bottle of scotch. <laughs> I like that. He made himself an angry sandwich. You had sex with an alien. I'd be freaking out. I would be freaking what kind out. Of, like, space TDs, you could yeah, get? yeah. You got you, you got the space herps. <laughs> you think the other one's not curable? Yeah. In this <laughs> one, your balls turn green and fall off. Jesus, it's. <laughs> they gain sentience and they start oh. attacking you from the inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's like aliens, except <laughs> they don't shove it oh, in through your throat. Oh, it comes, in, it comes oh, in through the penis. Ah! <laughs> maybe this movie's scarier than we thought it was. Maybe it was a horror and they had to cut all that maybe stuff out. It, maybe it was a horror. Dan Aykroyd goes off on, you know, talks about the sandwich that he made. Well, not only that, but like he's sitting very calm. So, and this is more character flip-flop and maybe maybe I don't understand all aspects of humanity, but he goes from like, just kind of sitting there conversating like, oh, so you're an alien. And then he gets really angry about her eating the sandwich. Like, you need to try this sandwich. She's like, I've never had food before as he's drinking a, a fifth of scotch. 
and and then she starts eating the sandwich and she gets all giddy and then he gets a little happy about it so the just this one scene like goes nuts wouldn't it have been fun it's like she gets drunk off of it was a, a turkey swiss on rye with mayo <laughs> what if she got yeah. drunk by eating this she didn't get drunk by the liquor but mayo that- makes her drunk so she starts yeah. getting more and more drunk as she eats the sandwich because <laughs> because Mayo, re, that's what, with her metabolism, that's what screws her up is mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they could have added more jokes into this. Yeah. Uh, that were funny. So that one would have been a good one. <laughs> Something that we forgot to mention at all is Dan Aykroyd can only do these, only do these experiments when it's raining. The lightning, it has something to do with lightning. Uh, which brings mm-hmm. us back to what I want to go back all the way to the beginning. But with all the lightning striking and Dan Aykroyd with his sort of maniacal laugh, didn't you get like a Frankenstein vibe from that as well? Oh, yeah. With the, the goggles they were putting on and kind of the turn to the camera with. the uh, Yeah. And they were like messing with electricity and the flashes of light. Yeah, that's I didn't. Um, now that you pointed out, like, that's exactly what they were going for. It starts raining again, so they have to go back to the back to the laboratory. And at this point, can, can I just yeah. interject something real quick? Go right. They're ahead. sitting in the room, and uh, the apparitions from her planet are sending the lightning storm uh, so that they can redo the experiment in time. But it starts. They're sitting there calmly enjoying their angry sandwich, and it starts pouring down rain. And his window is open, and that pissed me off beyond like I don't and maybe it's just my personal thing, but they left that window open. They left like I know there's important stuff going on, but he had books and stuff and shelves over there and they just left and the window stayed open. And it, it pissed me off for the rest of the movie that that window was open. Well, nobody does act like humans. Well, they're going, so they're, because they're going back to the lab and for some reason they have to bring the daughter come up. Well, because now the one they've, left, they've left her alone, this entire movie, they've left her to fend for herself, this entire movie. And, and now they bring her with, now they bring her with well, and They wake her up. Don't but they? it's incredibly like dangerous where it's incredibly yeah. dangerous. It would actually been safer if she stayed in the house. I got wrong about the the I got I got mad about the wrong thing. <laughs> and at this point, Bag tells Kim Bassinger that after after he does that, he, they're going to destroy the world. So Kim Bassinger just leaves Bag behind mm-hmm. while they go to the uh, observatory or the laboratory, yeah. or whatever it is. And then that's when Bag calls John Lovitz. Yeah, because we needed to get we One needed more. to get all the main characters at the lab. <laughs> so this was a re- this was a way to get John Lovitz at the lab. Uh, Bag calls John Lovitz disguised as uh, Kim Bassinger's voice and says that she doesn't love Dan Aykroyd anymore. She loves him. Come meet yeah. me at the lab. And by the way, swing by your brother's house and pick up my bag. So that's how we right. get John Lovitz there. And that doesn't raise any questions to him. Like, I understand horn dogness, but like nobody's at the house and he has to swing by and pick up a purse. 
Well, because he thinks she's alone. So wouldn't his brother yeah. be at the house when he yeah, has to pick something it up? like that. Yeah. And he thinks about it for like 30 seconds. It's like, well, it's my brother. But you know what? I'm going to screw his wife. <laughs> and then we get there. And for some reason, Dan Aykroyd's boss is there. They actually started. It was like, we need a reason for everybody to be there. And it's like they stopped writing. It's, you know what? Fuck it. They're there. Uh, and I, we're he not, just shows up. He just shows up. That reminds me of the scene. I forget what it is. Like the first time they go to the lab before he has his job back. And she uses her psychic purse to sling the boss out the window, down a railing, through the top of his car, and hypnotizes him to go get pie back at his house. If she could do that, why didn't she just hypnotize Dan Aykroyd? To tell her what he want, what she wanted. Because sometimes on different planets, Scott, time's different, and also psychic powers are different. Stop defending this movie. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> That's all she had to do is hypnotize Dan Aykroyd and go. He doesn't know how he did it. Back up in the ship. We they can never do it again. He has no idea. It was an accident. Yep. Back up in the yep. ship. So your nineteen Earth hours, you got plenty of time to spare. <laughs> Go enjoy some batteries. They duplicate the ray. They, you know, he finds out how to duplicate the ray. It goes back to her planet. It fixes the atmosphere. It fixes the gravity. And then the purse, the eyeball in the purse is going to destroy. He's going to destroy either everybody or the, or the earth. Yep. And Dan Aykroyd just throws the person to a, a short circuiting, a, little... a short circuiting machine or something like that. Yeah, it was their, I guess, like power generator or something that was struck by lightning that they hung a little chain on. And yeah, the I guess it gets electrocuted to death. So this thing that can destroy the world yep. can get can be destroyed by simple electricity. Well, and not only that, but during the power generation, like when she's powering up. He's carrying the purse. First, John Lovitz has it, but then Dan Aykroyd picks it up, and it's earthquaking and causing the the scene to change colors uh, in the movie. Uh, and and he he has enough time to go walk it over or kind of saunter over to this the power generator, and and then gently throws it into the the electrified field. So at no time did the all powerful bag decide maybe I should stop this guy from carrying me around. And then the, the floating apparitions of the council show up and he zaps him outside and basically says, we got to destroy the earth. And then Dan, Dan Aykroyd goes, but I mean, what about Jimmy? No, it's Kim Bassinger's, you know, this place has love and sandwiches and Jimmy Durante. And (laughs) tell us, (laughs) <laughs> Tell us more about this Jimmy Durante. Jimmy. Yes. Show me Jimmy. Show me Jimmy. Okay. They want to see Jimmy. Jim, come on. Come on. Brady? Yeah. Jimmy Durante. From the man who came to dinner. Oh, there's a lot of nice things in here. Hello up there, you omnipotent super beings from some other dimension or planet. 
Hit it! Did you ever have the feeling that you wanted to go? Still have the feeling that you wanted to stay. You, you know, know it was right, wasn't, wasn't wrong. Still you know you wouldn't be very long. Ah! It's tough to have the feeling that you wanted to go Still have the feeling that you wanted to stay Start to go, change your mind Start to go again, but change your mind again It's tough to have the feeling that you wanted to go Still have the feeling that you wanted to stay Don't rain me, but so la-dee-do I go I stay As the climax of the movie, though Yes, as a climax of the movie, they do a Jimmy Durante bit to save the world. <laughs> I'm gonna let that, of, uh, let's just get a, give that a moment of silence. To save okay. the world, they do a Jimmy Durante bit. And I'm going to bet, I mean, Jimmy Durante was big for his time, but I'm going to guess a lot of, in 1988 and even now, a lot of people don't know who Jimmy Durante is. Why, <laughs> why not pick some, maybe like, you know, the three stooges or the Marx brothers, some, some, uh, you know, person or group that's a little more iconic that more people, because I, I'll guarantee when this movie came out and people went out, I, I would say most people didn't know who Jimmy Durante was or, or knew very little about him. Now through the movie, they show us clips of Jimmy Durante but I don't think that if you don't know anybody, it's like you see a clip of the Three Stooges, even if you don't like the Three Stooges, you're going to Three Stooges. Like you said, when you saw that scene, all this nostalgia is going to come hitting you. You see Groucho yeah. Marx, all this nostalgia is going to come hitting you. Unless you're a Jimmy Durante fanatic, you see Jimmy Durante. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, hot, cha cha, you know, <laughs> but that's it. It's maybe on other planets, Scott, that Jimmy Durante. I'll stop there. It, it kind of reminded me of a uh, Rick and Morty episode where these giant heads come and destroy the planet. It was one of those. And then they had to sing and dance to save the planet. So uh, that's not what they were referencing, but it, it had that tone of like, show us what you got. And out of all the things, like you said, like they psychically link up and she shows them, I guess, clips from the movie, essentially, to to reminisce. And then they pick Jimmy... Durante to see so that Dan Aykroyd can do his impression. <laughs> well, they, they're going to spare the earth and for Kim Bassinger to stay, John Lovitz has to go with him. The entire crew of the spaceship are these uh, very attractive women. So naturally, because all men are controlled by their penis, he's going to, he's going to leave the planet earth. To yeah, a mysterious location. A mysterious two location light away. Two light years away, plus a galaxy or something. Just yeah. to just to follow these beautiful women. That that's the epitome of like uh horniness. That's male stupidity personified right there. Yeah. I'll go back and say I've I've had moments of lack of clarity for for females but never planet-leaving lack of clarity. No. I've had lack of clarity, too. It's not like John Lovitz was a, a young man in his 20s. He's like, he's a middle-aged guy in this movie. It's like, 
In the movie, John Lovitz plays a sleazy guy, but he's rich. Apparently, he has money. He's got a nice car. He's got a nice house. He, he's, gone, he's gone around with attractive women in this movie. It's not like he has, it's not because, what is it? Princess Margaret? What was it? Princess he had a, Stephanie. Princess, Princess Stephanie. That was Princess his fantasy. Stephanie. Princess Stephanie. And all these women look like Princess Stephanie. So his fantasy has come true, and that's why he's leaving the earth. And that's where we, oh no, we don't quite end there. There's a little bit more after. Because uh, after John Lovitz leaves, they go back home to Dan Aykroyd's house. Well, and I guess their house. And uh, they have one more scene where they play basketball with the, the mother, stepmother, and the stepdaughter play basketball together. Yes, and the stepmother helps her dunk. Because she's never been able to dunk. At the beginning of the movie, she's like, why can't I dunk? Well, that's a regulation net, and you're a 13-year-old who's five foot two. That's why you can't dunk. And that's how they decided to cap into the movie, is, is basketball dunking. Which had nothing to do. It, nope. There's nothing. It's, it's, you know, what if, she, you know, she, she can't dunk. She can't dunk. But we've got to... For us, for this generator to work, we've got to get this this isotope through this. You know, and she has to actually use some sort of yeah. basketball skill shoot to shoot it or dunk it in there. It's like you're the only one. We're all too big. You're the only one small enough to get through here and dunk it in. It's something along those lines. But <laughs> there's uh, what is it? I think it's twenty twenty. I think like it's a world apocalyptic ending movie. And the very last line was, hey, dad, I don't have to wear diapers anymore. And that and that's what they end on. So I I feel similar in this situation. She dunks the basket and we fade to black so that we can see John Lovitz flying with Princess Stephanie as he's playing the piano. And then I don't know if you did you watch the whole credits? No. Because at the end of the credits, Jimmy Taranti comes. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. So they bring back Jimmy Ranteranti uh, after the credits. Can and I be honest with you? Uh, as soon as the movie was is he, like, you turned it off. Stuff stopped. I was just like, I'm, I'm done. 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 I, uh. Done. All right. And that is my stepmother is an alien. If, so if you're in film school or if, if you need to examples of what not to do, watch this movie. This is a one-time movie watch. You'll watch it once, and I can't see you wanting to watch it again. Uh, I've stated, as I stated through this, the chemistry between Dan Aykroyd and Kim Bassinger is very, very good. Kim Bassinger is uh, is a, a very uh, a funny actress. Uh, the chemistry between, between them is good. John Lovitz has some funny stuff, but on a whole, it's it's not you know it's not bad enough to laugh at. It's more boring than than good bad the the main characters give a good performance but the movie just initially just falls apart right after it gets started in my opinion i i agree with you because like i said i i tried to watch this with new eyes um and i was very hopeful and i i started seeing like the camera work and what they were doing and kind of like dan Aykroyd's like smart guy character with with kind of his buddies in the office and and then, like, after that, the initial scene, 
of like setting up the daughter and setting up this issue, then it just like it crumbles apart in your hands. If you never see my stepmother as an alien, you're not missing anything. Can can I ask you something though? Sure, go ahead. Is is this bottom rung? Out of all the Dan Aykroyd podcast movies, is this the low bar standard? It's close to it. The lowest is Third. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Okay, that's that is just a god awful piece of shit that nobody should ever watch. <laughs> it's insulting to gay people for their portrayal in the movie, and it's insulting uh-huh. to comedians for the for the comedy in the movie. Okay, Caddyshack Two is after that. That's the other. That's what not only one of the worst sequels of all time, one of the worst movies of all time. To go from Caddyshack, a classic, to a movie that has absolutely no laughs and just no style. Yeah. And then I would say this would have to be, for me, this would have to be the third one. I did okay. I did nothing but trouble with a couple of friends of mine, and they really hated that movie. I enjoy that movie more than them. I think it's an okay. interesting movie. This is around the bottom, the bottom rung of... This is the sludge that forms at the bottom of the tank. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry and Caddyshack 2 is the sludge that this movie has to walk through. So, But it's, it's down there at the bottom. It is down there at the bottom. Dare I say, if we're making sludge references, maybe this could be the slime at the bottom of the New York uh, sub- oh, uh, the subway. Oh, the subway. Yes. The, but I will give it this. Uh-huh. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry... And Caddyshack 2, they they didn't feel like they had a soul to me. To me, these were just cash grab movies that were just awful, uh, that nobody nobody cared about. To me, I felt that there was, for this movie, I felt that people were trying to make a good movie. It, It just failed. It didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like a cash grab to me, like the other, like the others did. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it it felt like they were trying to make a quality movie. I know Dan Aykroyd is really into science fiction and mm-hmm. and aliens, so I know this is a oh, topic yeah. that's close to his heart. I think everybody was trying to do their best. It just failed. As were the other ones, Caddyshack Two, and and now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. It was just let's just throw any shit on the screen and see if we can make money. <laughs> they they had a few. I don't want to say redeeming moments. That's not the right term, but there were a few pockets of funny and there were a few pockets of like good acting and a few pockets of, of things that, you know, maybe if they made it like a, a 20 minute sketch or something that could be doable, but it was rough. It was rough and it's over. We never have to watch it again. Thank God. And I, I only watched it because you requested me watch it. You can request the next podcast, Will. Well, whatever you want to do, we'll request. Uh, we'll do the next one. We'll get together and. But I mean, the <laughs> no. I and uh, to the antithesis of that comment, I enjoy watching bad movies. Like it, it's still an experience, and that's why I would say people should go watch this. Because sometimes I'll try things I know I don't like just to reaffirm. Okay, this is what bad is, so that good shines a little bit brighter. And that's we're we're at the end here. Uh, is there anything you want to plug, Will? Um, I have um, a Twitter gnome gnome on the go gnome on the go with periods in between each word. 
I will put a link to your Twitter page in the description of this podcast. Okay. I don't do anything with it, but you could either do that or I don't know, ask Scott for my number. Yes. Call me, call me personally and I will give you Will's number. So uh, that's it. This has been another episode of the Dan Aykroyd podcast. I want to thank my very special guest, Will Fordyce, for doing this with me. And we'll see you all here next time. You want me to clap too? Clap! Done. <laughs> Thanks, man. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Holy crap, Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. What the hell are you guys doing in Quahog? Oh, we're, uh, we're just doing research for a movie. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Listen, I got to tell you guys, I've watched all your movies like a thousand times. You saw Cops and Robertsons? And my stepmother is an alien? Almost all of them.